Welcome to the RCIA Hollywood Podcast, coming to you weekly from Sunset Boulevard in the heart of Los Angeles. RCIA Hollywood is a program designed particularly for artists who have an interest in exploring the Catholic faith in a systematic way, with the possibility of being fully admitted into the church during the Easter season. RCIA stands for Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults and is the process that dates back to the very first centuries of Christianity. This Good Friday session from our 2008 Triduum Retreat was led by Dr. Eric Hansen. Let's remember that we're in God's holy presence and let's stop for a moment. These beautiful surroundings. Surroundings must have been very similar in ancient times in Israel when King David wrote the psalm, I will look to the hills from whence comes my help and the sun shall not smite me by day nor the moon at night. Happy is the man who trusts the Lord and praises him and walks in his ways. For the Lord is my shield and my protector. Let's so Lord, our greatest prayers, praise and thanks to you, particularly today. In Jesus' name, and through the intercession of our Holy Mother Mary, Amen. Um, I have made it a custom always to start with a prayer which hit me. I work at the Vatican from time to time, as some of you know. I've been doing work over there, kind of unofficially a curator there. I'm very proud of that position. They don't pay me anything, but I do it as, as a gift to my church. And in two weeks, I'll be over there again. And one of the things they do a lot before they start work in the morning is something that I think John Paul the Great gave to them as one of the many, many gifts he gave to the Vatican bureaucracy. They start out always by saying the prayer in Italian, Benedetto sia Gesù Cristo. And the answer to that is, uh, Adesso e sempre, blessed be Jesus Christ, now and forever. So I say, and I hope you will join me in this, blessed be Jesus Christ, now and forever. And uh, I've been trying to say it every morning I wake up. Wouldn't that be a better world if all of us did that? Um, I want to start out with a story, which I wasn't going to do, but I've been getting kind of... I'm not a mystic, but I've been getting the idea. i got to tell you this story. A couple of you have heard it before. There are various versions, but please bear with me. It's about a very old man, kind of my age, maybe a little bit older, if there are any, any people running around still older than I am. And um, he lived... Uh, he lived in a, in a rather small town, which had once been really a big, big town, but it had lost a lot through depression and through invasions and so on. And this old man, uh, and most people couldn't even figure out how old he was, and he himself wasn't quite sure, I imagine, and um, he would spend his mornings writing and writing and writing. And then in the afternoons, he'd sit under the shade of a tree outside his house, and he would dream, and he would kind of nod off, and he would he would remember very important things that happened in his life. And apparently the very serene kind of look on his face, especially to young people who would watch him, young kids who are fascinated by old people, um, would draw the young kids to him. And they would sit and he would start telling them stories as his memories would come up. And it was incredible because these children were transfixed by what he was, what he was saying. And uh, apparently his fame began to spread and spread not just throughout his town, but to another town, a substantial number of miles away in a time when there were no buses or cars or trains. 
And the story goes, and it's a pretty reliable one, though there are differences in terms of details, that one day a young man, probably about 16 or 17, having heard about this old man and his incredible gift of storytelling, decided that he would walk the 25 or 30 miles from his town, and he would come to hear this man and to listen to him. And he did. He made the walk. In those days, very difficult. And finally, he saw the old man. He asked some of the children in town, where is he? And he would sit there. And he figured he would only go for perhaps one or two days. And the one or two days went into weeks and months and years. But after a while, the, uh, this traveler suddenly began to realize that he was hearing the same thing again and again. You know old people who forget that they've told you a story and they go back and tell you all over again? Maybe your grandfather's told you how he met your grandmother. I've heard that about 600 times. Not always the same way, but a lot of times. So finally one day this young man, and his name, by the way, was Polycarp, this young man decided that he would ask some of the young kids, well, you've been hearing him now going on months and years. What does he talk about? Doesn't he ever talk about anything else but just one thing and one thing? And kids said, no. Have you ever asked why? Well, no. Are you bored? No. Well, there's something wrong here. Polycarp apparently had the idea of becoming a Jesuit priest. Very inquisitive, very curious. You know the kind. And um, I think he was a Jesuit. Actually, we're in a Franciscan house, so maybe I should have said Dominicans, but you get the idea. <laughs> the point is that finally... Polycarp, this young man, decided to sit next to this old, old, very wise man. And he turned to him and he said, John, why do you keep talking about the same thing again and again? All you ever do is talk about one thing, one thing, one thing. Love. It's love, 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 love. And that's all it is. And without blinking an eye, According to the reports of the young man, who today we know as St. Polycarp of Smyrna, the, the, the local town from which he came, suddenly this old man's face, and if church tradition is correct, the old man was 100 years old. John, the last apostle to die, the only one not to die a martyr's death. His face suddenly became the face of a 14-year-old boy, of that little boy who, as we saw last night, asked the master four questions at the Seder meal and heard from the lips of God himself who had prescribed that Seder meal 1,200 years earlier. Why do we celebrate this way? What do these herbs mean? Why do we drink the cup? What did our forefathers receive from the Lord God? And his face was once again that 14-year-old young boy. And he turned to Polycarp and said, because I knew him. Four words that you could literally spend a lifetime studying and analyzing. Four words which are repeated in any number of variations in John's letters and in John's gospel, which in fact he was writing at that particular time. Shortly after that, John died. But when I think about Good Friday... And good, we believe, is a, an, a Middle English way of actually saying God, as in the good news, or God spell, or gospel. But we believe that in the Middle Ages, Englishmen, in speaking of this feast, this feast, spoke of God's 
Friday. Todd was right. There's not much good in today if you look at the literal events. There is the greatest good ever if you look at the overwhelming context of what happened. For today is the most important day of the year. When I woke up this morning, and um, it was very early, the wind was going, and I walked outside to go to my car, and I don't know if this happened to you this morning, and it's probably because I'm a sentimental old man who realized what today was. It's not Thursday, it's not Saturday, it's Friday, but it's Good Friday, it's God's Friday, in which a great good will occur through a very significant, detailed evil through death and destruction, through shame and humiliation, through the fact that we humans nailed to a cross, he who was with the Father from the beginning, he who spoke to Moses on the mount, he who guided the Israelites through the desert and across the Red Sea, he who represented the Father. And as I looked around, and again, I'm a sentimental old fool, but it was very important for me, I suddenly remembered, and I don't, I'm not evangelic in the sense that I like to quote a lot of scripture, but things come out, and I don't know if you noticed it, but I looked to the hills, which is why I quoted the psalm in our opening prayer, and I looked to the water, and I listened to the birds, and I heard things that I normally don't hear on a day that's not Good Friday, and I heard, thinking of that man, who's, that God who is man who's going to die on a cross in a few hours, not literally, but in a sense, that renewal of that historical event we talked about yesterday, and I thought, all creation is groaning in travail and waiting, waiting for the birth. Huh? If you go back to the Greek that Paul uses for that, all creation is groaning in travail. And this is the day, if you listen closely, you can hear that groaning. It's not groaning in the Greek. It's childbirth. Too bad Tim and Vicky are not here, because I would ask Vicky, Vicky, what would it like? Tim was telling me about uh, the delivery, and he said it was not an easy one. And I would have liked to ask Vicky, did you scream a lot? I'm not to humiliate her, but yes, and that's exactly what we're talking about. That all creation is groaning at this moment as it waits for that tree to be put in that groove on a hill in Jerusalem again and again every year as we relive that, that the greatest cosmic event, that nothing could ever be greater, happened and that we are celebrating it today. Now, how do we as, as mere humans do that? How do we understand first, but more importantly, how do we relate to the transcendent God becoming one of us and then becoming our hostage and our prisoner, becoming in a sense our criminal? You know, there's that old hymn, I don't like it, Were You There? I'm not crazy about the hymn, I can't sing black spirituals very well. But you know, the truth is, some of those words are, are really important. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. We killed our God. We killed our God. Whoa. Now, I don't know for myself, and this is a personal observation, that I can never grasp what that means until I'm with the Lord. But it overwhelms me completely. Did you go in the chapel this morning and see that wood with the red draped on it? And did your heart not skip a beat? Did it not suddenly sink at what we did, not the Romans, oh yeah, they did too, not the Jews, they did too, but us individually. That scares me, and it's always scared me. Now, one last prefatory point, and then we'll get to the nice pictures. 
One of the ways we can do this is to remember something I, I suggested to you yesterday, that as Catholics, we are a historically grounded faith. That to us, what you read in Scripture, what we celebrated last night and will celebrate today, is not simply history. It's more than when we, on July 4th, go out in our backyards, barbecue, and shoot off a few fireworks. Because nobody on July 4th says, right now, the Declaration of Independence is being signed again. It's not. It was signed once and for all, and it's over. When we celebrate Memorial Day, we may go out to a cemetery like the big veteran cemetery in Westwood and we may plant flags or we may have masses at our church or we may honor the dead at Arlington. But World War II is over. World War I is over. <clears throat> but in a very real cosmic sense that we cannot understand, Jesus give, gives himself as a sacrifice that keeps on giving. If you put yourself into the events of today and internalize them, they are not just a memory. They are a vivid reality of who we are and what we were able to become because God decided, as Hebrew says, in the fullness of time, he would send his son to redeem us. I'm not sure 99% of Catholics understand that and tremble when they, when they realize it. But I know I will. And I know that maybe that's part of our mission and maybe that's why we're here. To make that historical situation come alive again in a way that causes us a change. In other words, I think we're here. I was talking about this. I was thinking about this this morning. I think we're here to transcend time. I think we're here to jump across the centuries back so that we might be there. And one way we can do that, and we started this last night, was through the Stations of the Cross. Now, before I get to the stations, we're going to finish them today. One last thing. Um, the church throughout its history has observed today as a feast. The oldest feast in the history of the Catholic Church is Good Friday. It was celebrated, in fact, officially even before Easter. For it was the early Christians understanding of the importance of suffering, the symbol of the cross that was important. Now, if that's true, how did we get to the ritual, the liturgy that we're going to be celebrating today? Again, it's a 17th century creation, the time of the Baroque period, when everything was over the edge. Okay, Everything was a lot of tears, a lot of unhappiness. I can remember when I was growing up, way back, it was, I believe, Teddy Roosevelt probably was, was president at the time. But I can remember very well, and I don't think anybody else here is my age except maybe Barbara. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so Barbara and I are the two oldie moldies here. But Barbara will tell yeah. you, do you remember when we had Good Friday, uh, uh, the Good Friday liturgy was in the morning? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it was. Yeah, we used to have we used to have the Good Friday liturgy in the morning, and then... We would take an hour off for meditation or if you wanted to have a little bit of lunch. And then from 12 to 3, I was raised in an Italian parish. From 12 to 3, we had the Tre Ore, as it was called. Now, that was not a Good Friday liturgy. That was different. We might do stations. We might do the seven last words of Christ as recorded in Scripture and so on. But essentially, the service was in the morning. And that was until 1955 when Pope Pius XII decided, no, Scripture is abundantly clear. We are talking Jesus suffered from the 6th to the ninth hour. Now, if that's true, that means in the afternoon. So we left the morning literally empty 
in the sense that not only was there no Mass, as Barbara told you last night, and there is no liturgy, no Eucharistic celebration today, and there is, by the way, I was just checking my liturgical book, there is technically no Mass tomorrow, because the Mass tomorrow night is the, is the Vigil Mass for Easter. So two days a year, as I think Barbara so eloquently put it yesterday, they take Jesus away from us, in a sense. Jesus is, is removed from us. Now, he's going to be given back to us, and tomorrow night we're going to hoop and holler, and I hope inasmuch as we are going to internalize through the stations what happened and continues to happen. Huh? Remember what Paul says, we, we make up for the sufferings of Christ. Huh? We continue those sufferings of Christ, and that's part of the internalization of it, by, by being with him, compassio. Remember what or the Greek word, ecstasy. You want to experience ecstasy, ecstasis. You stand outside of yourself, your will, your um, uh, your own preoccupations, your preconceptions. You stand outside that you might better enter the other. And in this case, the other is the dying God-man. And it's not enough, I don't think, to cry. I'm an Italian. I cry. I'm not ashamed of it. Show me the last act of La Boheme and I go to pieces. Okay, that's show me the end of Schindler's List. I go to pieces. Um, show you know, a beautiful concerto. I go to pieces. A young boy who dies in Bakersfield who was killed by some mugger nine years old. I go to pieces. That's just me. But it's got to be more than tears. It's got to be a metanoia. I, and I don't know. I, I, I'm 60 years old. I still don't know how to do it, but I'm going to learn. You know, I, I'm working with him and by his grace to do it. Anyway, to get back to the point, I will go off on a tangent occasionally. Excuse me for doing that. But I'm passionate about this. This is what I'm about. This is what we all should be about. If we don't have this, what do we have? What do we have? And we got to go out there, whether we're, we call ourselves a Sima, whether we call ourselves Majus, we got to go out there. We got to do something. And I don't mean just a lot of idealism and a lot of words. We got to take the feeling we have. We have to make it real. So, we, we seek to reach out. Now, Last prefatory point, and you're thinking, my gosh, she takes a long time to do it. Yeah, it's important. Mm -hmm. I am very honored by something that's going on right now, 6,000 miles away. Because just as I am arguing for, and the pictures are directed to it, just as I'm arguing for the fact that we can cut across time and go back 2,000 years, and we can be there and feel that, Feel that salvation as it's working itself out historically and will continue to day after day in the sacrifice of the Mass. And just as we do that, this is also an exercise in transcending space. Because right now, as I'm presenting this to you, 6,000 miles away, at this very time, our Holy Father, Benedict XVI, is carrying a cross and is walking around the Colosseum doing the Stations of the Cross I checked, and our time is just correct, and he should be just about about the fifth or sixth station at this time. And he carries it around. And so, in a sense, as we will be looking at the actual sites in Israel, we will, in fact, also at the same time, be joining with our Holy Father across many, many miles, and we will also be joining with those who experienced our Lord 2,000 years ago. The Peter who denied and repented the John who asked the questions and wept on Jesus' breath, breast. The Mary, virgin mother, who held her in her arms. And it wasn't the stoic, detached, Michelangelesque Mary who looks at her dead son with almost total, total detachment. It was the mother, a Jewish mother, who threw herself on a body of a son that looked more like a carcass of beef 
than the beautiful man who had helped so many people. You're going to see that in a couple of pictures I'm going to show you. We go back and we look at the Magdalene and we stand next to the Magdalene who's watching him die and yet at the same time, we know that in a sense we were like hers because every time we have sinned, we have whored. Scripture says that. That's not me saying it. We have become prostitutes. And so we stand at that cross and you know, standing at that cross, it makes our salvation so much real, so much more real. So we join with Pope Benedict. We join with the, the earliest people who gave the story to us, our fathers in faith. Paul says we are his spiritual children when we learn from him. Many of you are going to be entering the church, some of you this weekend. In a sense, Barbara is your spiritual mother. Todd is your spiritual father. I'm your younger spiritual brother. Okay? Look at it that way. The point is, we are one. Remember storge? Affection. We're a family. I'm leaving after this talk, and please don't think it's an insult. But I have a mission. I'm not driven to do this, huh? I'm not a blues brother who has a mission in that sense. i got to go back to my family, and my family is my parish. I have no, no family left. I've lost three brothers and sisters. Both my parents are gone. I have nobody in the world, and yet I have everybody in the world. You can figure out what that one means in your spare time. But the point is, i got to be back with my parish family, because that's that, that's that, they charge me. They charge my battery. They keep me going. They care for me. They love. And maybe somebody's going to need me. Somebody's going to be there crying. Or somebody's going to be unhappy. Or somebody's going to need something. And I'm not going to run and jump on them and go, tell me what you need, I'll give it to you. I'm not an enabler and I'm not codependent. Mm -hmm. But you know, i got to be there. But you'll all be in my thoughts. And I'll be here as much with you because of a uniquely Catholic notion called the communion of saints, which has nothing to do with receiving the Eucharist. Okay? Because no matter where we go, Barb will be traveling across the country very soon. Todd's going to be on, going Lord knows where. Father's in, in Hollywood and so on. And yet, we're never apart, are we? In a sense, we aren't. Because we all return to that history in a vivid way. We become part of that crowd. We cry. We're shocked. We're horrified. But we know that tomorrow night, when that church, dark, cold, and dreary, lights up, and Father, holding up the candle, hopefully in Latin, says, Lumen Christi. And we respond, Deo gratias, thanks be to God, to the light of Christ. When that happens, suddenly the joy is going to be there. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, take care, and God bless.